This podcast was created on Messy. Create your own show today at Messy.fm. Welcome to Pace and Freedom. I am your host, James Pace. And as I promised, I would make up for not coming out with a live episode this last Tuesday and Wednesday. There was just way too many technical difficulties. I couldn't get the live stream going. And again, I just want to apologize. But if you're listening to this, it's Saturday. And as I promised, I would come out with The recap, TJ Squire and I were able to do a very nice recap of the second Democratic debate for both nights. Before we get to that, I just want to remind my listeners, if you like this podcast and you want to help me create more and better content, please subscribe. Like if you're on uh, YouTube listening, give us a like, subscribe, uh, review um, a lot of the uh, podcasts platforms have a review section so give us a review and subscribe Uh, another way to show your support is to become a patron on my patreon page you can become a patron for as little as one dollar a month and unlock special content uh, and a lot of other great benefits Uh, simply visit www.patreon.com slash pace and freedom And again, for as little as $1 a month, that's nothing. You get great content, bloopers, side talks from the different episodes that I've done with different guests, and and access to Discord. Just a lot of benefits. Just check it out. See which patron, uh, patron you would like to become. And you'll see all the great benefits that come with it. I have also affiliated with Anarcho Coffee. There's nothing better than a cup of delicious freedom to get your day started. And you will be supporting this podcast by purchasing at anarchocoffee.com forward slash PIF. And that's the link that you need to use if you want to support this podcast and purchase some amazing coffee if you're a coffee connoisseur you'll love it so we're going to go ahead and get started with this recap i hope you enjoy and let's get going all right tj so go ahead and uh introduce yourself uh my name is tj squire i'm a navy veteran and a communications student at washington state university in northern everett but that's all i got (laughs) So kind of give me a little bit about your background, like what are kind of your political, um, I guess, beliefs, um, thoughts? So my family growing up, um, they voted Democrat because that was the union kind of, that was the unions, the party that supported unions, and my family survived off of the way unions supported their industries, be it boilermakers or uh, miners. It was these unionized groups and the, the, the wage guarantees and the benefits they got that allowed my family to kind of go from that lower class up to the middle class over a couple of generations. Um, but my parents themselves weren't attentive particularly they just kind of continued voting that way because that's the way they were always raised to vote 
So after a while, the reasoning became kind of lost. Uh, by the time I left high school, I was more of a centrist, and that came out of, those were the Bush years. Um, there was a lot of intensity or, uh, post 9-11. A lot of, if you said the wrong thing, you weren't a patriot and that kind of thing. And a lot of me just not being informed about a lot of things as well. Um, taking for granted things I was getting from the media or things I was hearing comedians say, for example, instead of really uh, thinking and applying them. And then through the, the Navy, most of my mentors leaned on the conservative side. And generally in discussions with them, I would, instead of actually digging into issues I didn't understand, I just kind of throw them as gimmies. I'd be like, oh, yeah, I guess if we... If we were to get this version of the tax code that I think would be ideal, I don't see a problem with, uh, what was an example at the time? We'll use gun rights, but I'm, I'm actually, I'm not as far left on guns as most Democrats anyway. We'll use gun rights as an example. It's like, I could see that as a fair political bargaining trip, trip, chip trade-off kind of thing. And then, um, it wasn't until towards the end of my shore duty when I actually started digging in and reading to and understanding uh, things going into 2016. I had actually for a while wanted to look at politics because my communications line of study is actually the speech writing kind of vein of it. It's the actual delivery of a well-crafted um, message. And there's really only a few places you see that delivered in a professional setting. You got TED Talks, stand-up comedy, and politics. Right. That's about it. Um, and that's why politics was originally the ground, the, the route I was looking at with it. Um, it wasn't until kind of after 2016, I came to this dark realization that a huge portion of the argument is neither side believe, both sides believe the other one's information sources are lying to them. Right. Or misleading them or incorrect. And that's where communication points could, we could be debating my view on Elizabeth Warren's um, capitalism with socialist controls versus your libertarian point of view, you could come forward with this this study or this piece of evidence and lay it in front of me and go, no, this is what I've come to understand based on this. And I can look at that and go, yeah, who wrote that? That's a conservative think tank. Well, of course they'd say that. But then you could turn around and do the same thing for anything I put forward. It's the, 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 the messaging's become so muddied from both sides. Right over time. And that's eventually why I tried to pull back and become more or less debate oriented or less um, policy debate oriented in my conversing about politics and more my concern about how the message is delivered. For example, I think most of the Green New Deal is a good thing. Most of it. I think the way they chose to just say Green New Deal, latch to it, and use that as their package tonight was a poor way to do that. Because it is well known that right now there's very mixed narratives out there about what the Green New Deal is versus what actually is in it and right. versus what connects all those sort of things. So to me, for example, while I support the bulk of what I've read of the Green New Deal, I also recognize that saying I support the Green New Deal is a is a toxic misstep right. at this point. Well, I think with most sides, and I mentioned this a lot in my podcast, I hate I hate using 
uh, labels. I think that for the most part, if you talk to anybody and you don't mention what you are, like if you never mention that you're a Democrat and that you're left-leaning and we just had a regular conversation and I never mention that I'm a libertarian, uh, classical liberal leaning, you'll find that probably a lot of things we end up agreeing on. Because yeah, I think that's true, yeah. Because I think what it is is once you start putting labels on things, you you tend to like kind of defend that label and you never really get to listen to either side and find that, oh, wow, there's commonalities. And maybe we don't agree on the execution of that goal, but we still agree that the goal is the same. We all want to be able to feed and protect our families and go to bed warm at night and know that no one's going to come in and take it from us. Absolutely. We all want the same thing. Right. So... With my podcast, that's why I try to avoid labels, but I feel that with this particular to- topic that we're going to be attacking during this episode, uh, which is the debates and recapping the debates, I think it, it does matter a little bit to know what our like kind of political background slash the label that we kind of identify each other with. I- I would, um, the political science term I think would close, most closely relate to is a Bernstein, um, a Bernstein liberal. Bernstein liberals is, to put it into the words I, I've seen you post that you hate, that would be what you'd call a democratic socialist. Oh, do you swear on your podcast? I apologize. I didn't ask before. No, you can definitely go ahead. It's free um, speech, man. I'm a libertarian. <laughs> Amen to that. Um... I think, uh, yeah, that's absolutely the thing. And the problem is, the few times we have seen it tainted and fucked up, it's been done so colossally that it's terrifying to even look across the aisle to that side of the road for some people. And that's a very difficult thing to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? To quantify. To go, yeah, yeah you're. I, I can't argue. It has gone that badly because people let it get that badly. Or go that badly. Well, and it's even with, like, on the other end, right? If we look at capitalism, I mean, as a libertarian, as a classical liberal, I'd like to see more free market. Do you consider yourself an Ayn Rand disciple kind of a libertarian thing where, hey, captains of industry earn this, why shouldn't they get to keep it? Yes and no. So here's the thing, right? And that's where I was trying to lead into just now. So capitalism... The way people think of capitalism now is the same way as most capitalists think of communism now, right? And we see, and that's that. Ah, I disagree with that very heavily. We're considered one of the more conservative and free economies in the world in America. Not exactly. <laughs> I mean, the problem. I agree with Warren in this that there is crony capitalism. That the players right now, the top one percent are definitely taking advantage of, right, the rest of 99%. But it's because we have elected officials to allow that to happen. And that's not, to me, that's not free market. It's more 
of, and actually he mentioned it during the debate. Uh, who was this guy? Um, Which one? The one that I hate. Uh, Blasio? Uh, yes, Blasio. He mentioned it. I was like, whoa, dude, he's right. There, Donald Trump is a socialist, but he's a socialist for the 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 one percent, and I yeah, agree exactly. with him. That's what his tax plan was. It was he just took all the money from the middle class and passed it up, versus right. someone someone like Warren's tax plan, which uh, is to. I take still don't it agree from, with it, but I I understand. But it's like she's saying, literally, if you're making more than sixty five million dollars a year, she wants to raise you. That's where her extra taxes kick in. It's not on the person making ninety thousand a year, right? In, in their job, it's that she's really talking about raising it on people above a certain level and so it's like who's arguing against that that's what i'm having trouble gauging is anyone looking at her tax plan or are they just hearing the socialist label and hearing taxes and being scared the thing that's fascinating about elizabeth warren specifically is that she used to be a conservative and a republican it's a well-documented journey that she took from going wait a minute and looking at the policies she was supporting and seeing that they, they weren't working to evolve her to the point where she's at now. She did a complete 180 on all this through a journey of discovery and watching the system fail. It's it's different with Bernie Sanders. Bernie's always been Bernie. That's why we love Bernie. We right. don't know what you're getting with Bernie. He is the most honest candidate on that stage because he's repeated the same thing for 700 years. He, he is that old, I feel like. You know, I really don't think that guy... Will become president. No, I think he he'll won't. he'll give it probably another shot next next um, election cycle. I bet you anything, but he's just. I'm wait. interested to see um, if what kind of deal he and Warren broker when they decide which one drops out, because I could see them on a ticket together. It wouldn't be my dream ticket, but I could see them on. I I was going to mention that, and I was going to ask you. What do you think about, feel like on the first debate, it seemed like that's what was happening there. They were like very buddy buddies. They were very, you know, playing off of each other on the debate rather than fighting. To me, the moderates miscalculated. The moderates in that debate who were basically the bottom polling set of them. Right. Um decided that they were going to turn that first debate into a referendum on progressivism. Um, They were going to join forces, and they were going to strike out at the evil socialists. What they did in doing that was they took away the need for Sanders and Warren to turn on each other this early. All they had to do was link arms and just have better zingers, which they did consistently. They did. Um, I don't know who... Warren's speechwriter was, or or if she just delivered it that well, other than her usual breathlessness, she was on point. She had the best deliveries, they had the right level of passion, they were incredibly well rehearsed, and they were delivered well enough so that you didn't feel like you were being sold a shitty sales pitch, or or listening to to the valedictorian give his bestest book report. Right. Um, it was, um, it felt natural and it felt like what we wanted from her. I think the first night she like spin kicked everybody off that stage. <laughs> I find it very interesting the lineup that they chose for that debate. Like you said, everything seemed so rehearsed to the point 
of even those the moderates or the you know the lowest po- polling uh, candidates were set up to to prop up Sanders and Warren. You you think it was almost like uh, they they set the schedule up that way to give the. But Sanders and Warren, if are you going with this like uh, the Democratic Convention did this or CNN? Because because Sanders and Warren aren't the most popular with either group. I think I, it might be CNN. I'm not sure because I'm looking at the Times, and according to this, um, Sanders got 15:07 talking time. Warren got 14:46. Uh, and then the rest obviously got... How much did Daly get? Because it looked like they were giving him just a disproportionate amount of time to how lowly he's ranked right now in the polls. Exactly. And again, I think that was a setup. So Delaney got nine minutes and 11 seconds of talk time. So To his credit, even though I disagree with most of his stances, and I think... He definitely stumbled a few points and walked right into counter hits from Warren and Sanders. He he kept swinging and he didn't give up. He didn't look weak. I guess is the best thing I could say about him. And I no mean, no matter how many times someone counterpunched him, he got back up. I and that could be because maybe he wasn't a player in this grand scheme of propping Warren and Sanders up. Maybe he didn't want to play that game. I don't know. Marion Williamson's the other odd duck out. Yes. And, and I hate so much that she gets to be on stage with all of those serious people. <laughs> because I feel like Williamson would have done better in the second part debate with the other lineup. She would have gotten sweeped out of the way, though. That's the thing is Williamson's not engaging anyone in direct confrontation. She's sticking to her hippy-dippy ant vibe thing. Right. Uh, she gave a good speech. She talked a good talk about implicit racial bias and um, disproportionate funding going to different neighborhoods and all of that. She did a good touch on the racism thing without it being all about it. She had such. But a that's good because she had very little time. She only had seven minutes in the debate. That's the thing. Well, yeah, it was all in one lump. And she almost got through it without shooting herself in the foot until she started going off about dark psychic energy or whatever. It's yeah, like I know. She was running a perfectly good race with her speech. It's like, you're going to do it, Marianne. You're going to make it across the finish line. And then she just tripped at the last step. Cause she I want to started. say she was on a podcast. I want to say with uh, Dave Rubin, and they were talking about that whole thing, and he asked her about, I guess there was like a post on Twitter or something about her using um, healing stones. Her being the celebrity she is, I think it's Gwyneth Paltrow. She was like an adoptive mother to Gwyneth Paltrow or one of those celebrities. No way. I'd have to wiki her. I don't want to speak for sure. I saw one of my super liberal, liberal late night comedy talk shows do a bit on her about it, and I think they mentioned that. I think you're right. Now that I'm remembering, I think you're right. I do remember that because I think it was mentioned in that podcast. So I wanted to bring up another one that I just think, and I didn't check her times for today's um, debate, part two, was uh, Gillibrand. For me, Kirsten, go ahead, yeah. Gillibrand, I don't, she's like a nobody. 
in this debate. And I feel like I want to fact check a few things. I need to go back and fact check a few things that she said. But she said that she won two terms. I thought she was a one-term um, senator. I don't know that off the top of my hand. So he or head top of my hand. <laughs> so what I know about Kirsten Gillibrand, as far as her performance tonight goes, her performance was on point, and I say that begrudgingly. I I disagree. I think you didn't like her. See, I think as far as progressive policies go, she said the right things tonight without going full Bernie. I think. For what her brand is, by the way, her brand is championing women. That's what Kirsten Gildebrand's thing is. It's about the inequality and gender. What I remember her for was being the senator that calmly walked up and stabbed Al Franken in the back um, in the midst of his scandal. She was immediately the first Democratic senator to call for his resignation prior to any investigation going into the claims against him by Leanne Tweeden. Um, and by the way, the investigations concluded and he was, uh, cleared of any and all wrongdoing. Yeah. I remember that, uh, investigation. And what it was, was it was Leanne Tweeden and there was photographic evidence. He did something douchey. Um, but he didn't assault her. And that's what the evidence concluded. And there was never any evidence to substantiate the five women that claimed he grabbed their butt or whatever during a picture at a state fair. Those claims were never substantiated, and he chose to drop out when he did at the call of because it was in the very middle of the Me Too shitstorm. Right. Um, and it was just at that point, he said women needed to be listened to and believed regardless, um, and he thought that time would vindicate him. He now says stepping down was the biggest regret he's ever had in his entire life. Christ- or Kirsten Gilderbrand, the second she called for it, everyone named it. She did it before she announced her candidacy for president, and everyone said that was going to be the rock upon which she built her campaign. Um, To me, that is unforgivable, because from a liberal perspective, Al Franken was a god. He was the perfect balance between the the moderate old school and the progressive new wing trying to kind of um, bring in. He was that guy that was going to bridge that gap for us. So for him to be knocked out of the Senate, make no mistake, that was a vicious and horrible betrayal of her own party to do that. Um, She will never get my vote, no matter how good of a performance I think she has. She's a backstabbing opportunist. So I misspoke. She she has been a senator for a while because I remember her as a a representative. So she was a one-term representative. And uh, And then she... Switch to the Senate right after that. Right, yeah. So that's why I got confused there. But um, the other thing she mentioned that I felt like it was a bold lie, and you can agree or with or disagree with me on it, was that she mentioned that no president before, and this is not defending Trump because I highly, highly dislike the guy. She said that no president before Trump has ever uh, criminalized immigration like he has and so that's the qualifier that prevents it from being a lie so when he's she said like he has she made that a vague statement true Um, i guess you can look at it the way she framed the statement in this particular way no 
we have never sticken immigrants in concentration camps as a punishment because we can't figure out how to fix it on either the legal side or the asylum side of things. Well, that's not entirely um, true. So that's the part that I don't think is true because, I mean, we've we've seen it happen. I mean, President Obama during his administration, and I don't like putting this on the presidents themselves because we all know how that works. The president doesn't always know everything. That goes on under his administration. Yeah, he doesn't have control over everything in every waking minute. But the idea is the buck. I can't remember which president. Was it Johnson? Was it Johnson or was it Eisenhower? The buck stops here. I think that might be Eisenhower. Yeah. Um, But he said the idea is I chose these people because I trusted them to execute my agenda. Right. So if something went wrong, I made an error in judgment. Right. That kind of thing. Were you about to go to the mass deportations with Obama? The mass deportations and even the concentration camps, I mean, it wasn't televised as much, but there was a a time, and I don't know if it got fixed at one point for a brief period of time during his last, you know, couple of years as president, but I remember seeing the images of kids in these cages with the, you know, the the blankets and whatnot, just this, it, they're just the same image from see, what I we see today that. and back then. I haven't seen that, nor do I recall it. Um, but like, if you presented it to me, I'd be willing to look at it. Like it's one of those things where I wouldn't be like, no, it can't be true. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, because Obama wasn't perfect. Here's the thing. It was, it was horrendous misbranding. For his political opponents to call Obama a socialist. Obama was one of the most moderate Democrats in modern history. He was further right than Clinton, both of them. Oh, I agree. Uh, I guess that's the only Democrat during my lifetime I can recall <laughs> anyway, <laughs> other than Obama. Um, he, but yeah, he was further right than Clinton. The thing was, he was just better spoken. He was just smoother. He was just more respectful. There's a lot of this nostalgia for him that isn't playing well. And we saw that work tonight with Biden. Biden, as much as defending his own voting record, is in the unfortunate position of defending Obama's now and what Obama did during his administration. And things that were kind of accepted or taken for granted are now being opened back up and laid bare. So when Biden came in tonight, he came prepared to spar. Most of my notes I took were about really good moments he had, uh, exchanges he had with people coming after him and vice versa. But he wasn't expecting to be at... What was the question that was asked? Ah, I think I forgot to write down the... He was asked a question at one point where it was basically kind of a side thing where he was asked to basically choose between what Obama wanted to do and what every other candidate was saying they... Oh, it was health care. Yes. No, sorry. Sorry, I got TPP. It was TPP, which is the only thing I've agreed oh, with. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If you ever want me on record saying I agreed with Trump on every on anything, it was getting out of TPP. I agree. When they asked him flat out, would you stay out? Would you re-enter the TPP or would you do something different? They were asking him very, very thinly veiled, uh, would you destroy what Barack Obama did, what he fought for, or would you um, reinstate it knowing its unpopularity now? And he tried to dodge it, and I believe the interviewer looked right back at him and said, Mr., you didn't answer the question. Right. Uh, no, actually, it was one of the, the other candidates, and I want to say it was Gillibrand that, or no, it wasn't. It was, I have it written down to in my notes. It was, 
and I can never pronounce his last name, and it's the guy that I hate the most. Is de Blasio? Blas- yeah, Blasio. Everybody hates de Blasio. De Blasio is a big city mayor, which <clears throat> means there is zero percent chance the stink of corruption isn't on him somewhere. Right. Zero percent. So, but he called him out, and he was like, excuse me, Vice President, you didn't answer the question. So they went back to him to try to get him to answer. And the thing with Joe Biden, I think he has stuck under Obama's shadow because he, and he even does it to himself a lot of times. He mentions a lot of Obama's policies and, and tries to take credit for it as if he was the one that set it up or, you know, he, he probably was because he was an advisor to the president as a vice president, but it just seems like he consistently brings up Obama policies and even mentions Obama by name when he says that these policies that he That's has... That's his foothold to the black vote. Right. Um, he, clings, he was clinging to Obama. He was trying to cling to Obama for popularity. Um, the thing is, over these last few years, especially with um, people like Sanders becoming more outspoken, with more of these smaller and independent news organizations that really dig in and needle specifics, stuff just started to drag out that you can't hide from your past anymore. Right. People can pull up, even if I'm too lazy to go read voting records, I can pull up six YouTube videos. Yeah. And someone's done it for me and laid it bare for me. And if it's wrong, I can fact check it because there's two to three websites that are bipartisan fact checking sites. Right. It's like uh, the, Joe Biden is in the unenviable, unenviable position of having a very long career and a lot changes in public opinion over 20 years. Things that he did before that were considered moderate or or even progressive at the time by today's standards may be considered barbaric and inappropriate. And whether it's fair or not, they're going to shine a light on right. every single one of them. So Joe... Biden's now being held to account for things he doesn't even understand he can be. Um, he did well, all things considered. And I'm going into this with Biden. I consider Biden a threat. I think he's the old guard, and I think that's a bad direction to go in. I think he held up under a lot of stress, but you started to see it crack. When Gilderbrand was calling him out on some of his policies, and he looked at her and he said, I don't know what happened. Oh, he talked about how they were so good together. They went and they visited these places and worked on these policies together. And he looked at her and he goes, and I don't know what happened other than now you're running for president. He, he called her out on her. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Biden actually got the most time talking. He got 21 minutes. Harris got That's seven. because he had to respond to all of his attacks. Yes. That's what Biden. That was the, if there was any mistake in going after Biden as hard as they did during round two. It's that every time someone took a swing at him, he got a chance to respond. Exactly. And again, it almost feels like it was kind of set up, though. Like, all these politicians are very smart politicians, right? You can't tell me that they don't know every time they mention one of their names, the other candidate's name, that that person doesn't get more time. You can't tell me they don't know that or they continuously make the same mistake i don't think well that's tough to say because i don't know the reality of how speech writing teams and debate prep teams work for people like this 
I know that I read articles written by former members and stuff like that explaining it. I can only envision it so far. I would... There were certain moments you saw, especially with Cory Booker um, tonight and Julian Castro, where their whole goal was to turn it back to something they had pre-ready to say. Right. Something they were ready to go on. Castro sounded good whenever he had something to say. He was caught off guard once or twice. Um, where you could tell it wasn't one of his bread or butter topics and he tried to spin something together. But anytime it was his immigration or his healthcare stuff, whether you agreed with him or not, he was on point and ready to deliver it very, very well. Um, I can't remember where the hell I was going with that. <laughs> it happens that to me all the time. Kamala Harris. We cannot not talk about yes. Kamala Harris. So she got the she- second most talking time. I think she got caught off guard with her time as the attorney general because a couple of candidates, and I don't remember who they were. I believe it was. Yes. Tulsi, both Tulsi and um, Biden really ganged up on her for her time as attorney general. Yeah. Biden, Biden had to regain ground. He had to swing back for what she did to him in that first debate. And she was ready for it. Yeah. That's what crushed me. Is because But she I don't think she was ready for Gabbard though. No, you saw it on her face too. Yeah. Like, she was, was totally the not look ready. She shot Gabbard when Gabbard left at her like that. Oh my lord. Um I also want to take a second and acknowledge that Tulsi Gabbard's wardrobe crew deserves a raise. Oh, I was gonna she you beat me hot. to it. She looked and I know you're not supposed to judge someone in that position. You're supposed to judge them on their policies. And all that, and I do with that. I like some of her policies. She was the most amazing looking candidate Definitely. on stage overall as a presentation. She drew the it, eye. Man. Everything worked together. The second it showed her on stage, I was like, man. She, I was disappointed in her deliveries tonight, though. I agree. I definitely agree. She seemed very out of sorts. I don't know if she was just not ready to debate with, because it, it almost seems like in this second part, uh, let me compare both lineups. I want to say this one had, besides uh, Sanders and Warren on the first lineup, there's really no high caliber candidates. So yeah, I don't feel like in the first lineup, other than Sanders and Warren, and you mentioned somebody else, Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete. Yes. I don't feel like there was that many high-caliber candidates in that one. In comparison to tonight, uh, you have more higher-caliber candidates in there. And I I don't know if she was just kind of intimidated by that, but she seemed a little bit like she was holding back a lot more. Did you ever see her Joe Rogan interviews? I've been wanting to watch, uh, listen to them. I just so I mentioned earlier that Tulsi Gabbard's another one of those candidates that really only has one or two issues. She's stuck her foot in heavily. A lot of them are veterans things, which is nice to hear from any of them. The big words that didn't come out of her mouth, 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 out of her mouth, um, that I said were kind of a piece to some of the other candidates' puzzles they were lacking, is she is one of the only presidential candidates that's bringing attention 
re-bringing attention to the military-industrial complex. Yes. And I think she hesitates to use those words because those words sound like a combination of words people in tinfoil hats say. The big deal for me, especially with that Rogan podcast, was they actually pulled up the first time the military-industrial complex was mentioned by a president as a threat to America, as a threat to the economy, as a threat to a lot of things. Um, and it wasn't by some bleeding heart leftist or some um, democratic socialist. It was by Dwight D. Eisenhower right. on his way out of office. And they played the whole speech regarding it. The military industrial complex is cycling hundreds of billions of dollars oh, yeah. to these to these contractors. I don't mind a big military budget. I don't mind us having the biggest military budget in the world. Ours is as big as the next 12 countries combined, and most of that is going to overpriced R&D through those crony contracts, that right. crony capitalism we see on both sides. So a lot of these socialist policies to me, every time someone says, where are you going to pay for it? Mm, that military industrial complex sure has a nice chunk we could chop right off the top of it if we could dig into that problem. Right. So that's kind of where I come at with those policies. And that's why I would like to see Tulsi work very closely with one of the more prestigious progressive candidates, because I think together they could come up with a plan that better satiates some of those fears of, well, who's going to pay for it? Well, we're going to take money that's already going to something it shouldn't be going to right. kind of a, a situation. And I think that it's tough on stage to throw out the words military industrial complex. Well, and, and again, it all comes back to labels, right? So I, I think she's a little bit hesitant to use those kind of words because they're the same kind of words that, I mean, libertarians, we use it so much. It's I, one of those things where each side has something the other side ignores. Right. It's real. Exactly. Um, Fox News sounded the alarm on Jeffrey Epstein how many freaking years ago? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I, I literally laughed at a former co-worker that was trying to use that as evidence against Hillary Clinton during the election or something. And I was like, you're insane. That's a Fox News thing, blah, blah, blah. And now it turns around, it's like, oh, no, all of this was true. Right. Oh, we might have given a little more credence then, because that's kind of messed up. Man. But it's the same thing. Military industrial complex, both sides see it as a problem. Both sides disagree about what to do with it. Right. For Tulsi Gabbard, obviously, we don't know. I think that she is against it. But if you look at all the other candidates, they're never... I don't think they're... Not even Joe Biden. I don't think he's against the military-industrial complex. I don't think... No. He, if anyone benefits from it, he's one of them. Exactly. Or even... I like how they attack Camilla Harris on her as attorney general of California. Just because of her... her, her um harsh enforcement of law right which is and that was all they really had to get her on too is but it's a big thing like especially being a democrat you know as we think of democrats they're supposed to be a little bit softer when it comes to you know enforcing drug laws and enforcing what's the word i'm looking for generally enforcing safety yes public safety and well-being and she'll have to answer for individuals. But remember, when she was challenged tonight, she stood there and she looked you in the face and she said, no, I know what I've stood for. And I know the choices I had to make and how hard it was. She's eaten everything and right. said, and I would do it all again. She's not she's not backing down. Kamala Harris is a I, I'd like to see if she could deliver one of her speeches with her head straight. Did you right. notice that? Like literally every time 
she's saying wonderful things. Her delivery was perfect. She put passion and inflection into the right moments. She could she could just knock down bat away verbal assaults from other uh, uh, candidates with like a look. Right. The, the look she gave Tulsi when Tulsi tried to left her, it was just like, ooh, that kind of scared me a little bit. Um, the other thing is she's meant to be. That'll appeal to Republicans that are on the fence, I think, is the idea. Is that with the Democrats putting forward someone that's far enough left to, to get past our primary, but able to say, look, security and safety is a concern, and I have the record to show it from the general, I think they think it gives her that uh, that middle ground appeal. I don't know. I, I just feel very suspicious of Harris. And she is absolutely, that's the exact same thing I turned to my sister when we were watching it tonight, and I said, I want to like Harris. I don't know that I trust her yet. Yes. She is too good at being a politician. I mean, I don't trust any of them, but, you know, that's just me being me. I can totally see Harris, though, becoming an ally with one of the other candidates, and I can't really put my finger on it yet, but I think what's going to end up with her happening to her she's going to end up being a either a vice president or somebody in the cabinet i don't think she'll be president she will be the first woman of color president if not this election eventually i don't think it'll be this election i think this election she's going to be appointed as a cabinet member if i had to take a wild guess if not vice president, she'll probably be either secretary of uh, national security or um, attorney general. I don't know if she wants to take on that that title again. It would give her the chance to settle fears based on her record. That's true, too. Um, the thing is, I have to see her go head to head with Warren. I haven't seen that yet. Right. Um, and that would be an interesting battle. That would almost be like a, a very interesting cat fight. Uh, no, you won't get a cat fight out of Warren. She's too she's too grandstandy for that. Warren no. Warren doesn't engage you as an equal in a conversation when you challenge her in debate. Uh, she steps on your head, stands up, and <laughs> talks to everybody else and gets them on her side and doesn't acknowledge you. I Warren's did notice that. I noticed that about her. I watched this interview. It was an after-debate interview. And I noticed that... I forgot who it was. Somebody asked her a question, but it was almost like the question was kind of trying to put her down in some of her policies. And somebody... She answered, and then all of a sudden, everybody was with her. Yeah, it was the... um, It was one of the most quoted damn things in the first day debates, it's why they're declaring her the winner is, uh, I believe it was Delaney was trying to do the moderate thing about how we'll never get this passed. We have to find a way to find them the ground because we'll never get X done. Da da da. And after he did this long list of things saying there, there are these false promises that could never happen. She looked at me, she had, I go, she goes, I just don't understand the point of running for president. If all you're going to do is tell us what we can't accomplish and just freaking destroy. Him. But, and she is a definitely she's very charismatic i'll give her that like she can definitely take a group 
and the whole group can be against her, and she can easily turn that around and get them to be for her. I'll give her that. I have to agree with who was that? That challenge. I think it's Delaney. I it think was Delaney, Delaney and Hickenlooper. Delaney and Hickenlooper were the two moderate swinging. Oh, and um, oh, who's the doofus? Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan were the okay, three yeah, moderates yeah. the first night that came out kind of swinging. Right. And so, that's just because everyone keeps joking about waiting for them to drop out. <laughs> that's the other thing with this whole thing. Like, has there ever, I can't remember a time, not in my lifetime, that we've had so many candidates the for a party. The Republicans last time. They had a huge chunk that ran with Trump. And then the they Republicans, all dropped out yeah. I thought, and I was shocked by that as well. I was like, dang, like, look at all these people. How is, like, Trump kicking their butts? Like, you have so many better options in that lineup. Biden's not doing as well as he thought he would. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think, I think in this debate, Joe Biden actually came out on top because of two reasons. One, because of the time that he got to talk. And we have to remember, and we've seen this with with Trump, negative publicity is still publicity. Screen time, screen time. Exactly. You know? So, with that, I mean, he. I think he came on top in this debate. That alone. Harris came second, and I would have to say Gabbard came third, even though she didn't get enough time. But I think even though she was hesitant... Ah, I got it. I, I have trouble giving it to Gabbard tonight. I really do. Um, and I want her to do well. I really do. But tonight, it's like you said, she just didn't come forward with enough to set her apart. The veteran thing was good. It was good to get her veteran talking points out, but it wasn't enough to really inspire to inspire the the main voting base for her because yeah. the veterans aren't the typical pool that Democrats reach into. Right. Um, I also noticed I brought up earlier and I can't believe I missed this note. I'd said I want to see Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris come head to head. Did you notice they both had the same exact line to swap back at moderates with? talking about how we don't need to be up here spouting Republican talking points for them. They both use that exact same line on the different nights. Uh, that is interesting. And again, I mean, call me conspiracy theorist. I really think that these lineups were set up to get the... I think we're getting to the point where we're going to start seeing people dropping out. And I think... Yeah, we this... have, well, we have to. The, the qualification set up for the next debate cycle... They have to have a certain percentage in polling or a certain amount of money. Right. And I think these lineups are set up to to put that in place. If that makes any sense. Yeah. You're, you're saying you want that, that they were facilitated. They didn't put all the heavyweights all night, all uh, all on one night and all the, the not so big names all on the other night because they wanted to kind of set up the loser brackets in front of us. Right. I think it's more has to do with ratings. They wanted to divide the big names as much as possible to try and get people to watch. True. That, um, CNN, that's my big pushback against people that say CNN's fake news. CNN is not fake news. CNN is sensationalist news that does anything to get people to watch. And that's I agree. the issue I have. Well, I just, personally, 
I don't consider CNN or Fox News news. I think it's just entertainment. I'm trying to go down. Oh, Bennett. We haven't talked about Bennett. So oh, Bennett. yeah. There's not a lot to say about Bennett. He was the moderate that nobody cared about up there. If it sounded like John C. Riley, we all agreed. Um, I also have, he looks like an evil ventriloquist dummy cast a, cast a dark spell to become a real boy. Bennett. I would yes. definitely say he's the, I wouldn't say he's the biggest loser. I might. No, yeah. Inslee was tonight. Inslee was the biggest loser tonight. Yeah, I have to agree. You know, Inslee... And someone on his state health insurance, by the way, he does not get to talk about how he can do medical because it sucks. Well, I'm sure. I'm actually surprised at how much talking time Inslee got. He got 10 minutes and 46 seconds. And it didn't really He's... seem he talked that much, but maybe it was because it was a lot of nonsense, and I don't know. He gave his doomsday speech. I read an article, I think it was on Politico, I was reading um, what the candidates' goals should be in relation to their policies, in relation to the identity they've given themselves. As the climate change candidate, Inslee needed to go up there tonight and scare the hell out of us. He needed to deliver a fire and brimstone speech that makes what what most of his voting bloc already believes is real feel right. even more real and scarier. Um, Inslee needed to convince everyone that the climate was more important than the economy, which, when said out loud, that's hard to disagree with, but in people's day-to-day lives, you're never going to convince them of that. You know what I think is going to um, happen to Inslee? I think he's gonna drop out in shame and come back to a state to get tar and feathered like a man. That, and I bet you anything that he'll end up leaving the party and becoming a Green Party member. No, because he is also the reason I hate Ensley isn't his climate change stuff. It is because he is a corporate Democrat. He is a money neoliberal Democrat, um, and his policies have not helped the middle and lower classes here. We have a colossal homeless problem. You forgot to mention not- that, too. You forgot to mention that you're in Washington, right? I'm in Washington State, yes. Yeah. Um, we have a colossal homeless problem, and it is not the result of decriminalizing certain drugs or, or legalizing weed or anything like that. Um, it's a combination of problems that are spinning together. that involve the way the health system's working. It's involving the way employment systems are working. Housing costs are part of the problem, um, but mostly it's people going undiagnosed with mental health problems and winding up on the streets unable to care for themselves, family not doing it for them, and because they um, they don't know they have a problem, they don't get the help they need. I mean, setting That's my part, setting my libertarian beliefs aside, Ensley just to me seems like a a, a horrible horrible administrator and that's a washington problem that's unequivocally a washington problem and it's why someone as progressive as me that wants democratic socialists on a federal level was willing to go conservative at a state level (laughs) um and it's just it's a mishandling of it it's not that i just it's not that i disagree with taxes or government using the money to better things it's that it's not going to the right things and part of it's the crony capitalism and kickbacks are going to the wrong companies. Um, part of it's just flat out state tax breaks. We're Washington State. We're Seattle. We own Jeff Bezos. 
we're part of the problem. Like it's, and that grew under Inslee's watch. That Amazon's been around for years, but it exploded under Inslee's watch. Let's go to really quick because we're running a little bit out of time. Um, I want to talk about Yang because we haven't talked about Yang at all. And that's mainly because he only got, he got the least amount of time. He did last time as well. This time he got eight minutes and 38 seconds of talk time. The thing for me, for Yang is that he is so stuck on his, um, universal, um, dividend. It's all he has. It's absolutely all he has. And And he claims, all the other issues, he says, yeah, but if we just give them money, they can fix it themselves. For every issue, he used that, and he couldn't get away from it. And it's almost like that person that repeats themselves over and over again. You just decide to just tune them out, and that's yeah, what happened exactly. to him. Because there's no point of asking him any other questions. He's going to answer the same thing. Regardless. You can look at the positive in that he's good at getting back on message. Um, I mentioned over text why I didn't think that message would work. I think universal, but the problem with literally going, I'm just going to give everyone a thousand dollars a month. That $1,000 a month is going to play very different in rural Kentucky versus urban Washington or California. That thousand dollars a month in some areas of this country, you could live like a middle class comfortable middle class and have like a I don't know a secondary fast food income or something especially if they get the $15 minimum wage do that in Washington giving me a thousand dollars a month in Washington wouldn't do jack dick for me oh good you mean I can actually pay my car insurance this month (laughs) right well he was on Kibbe on Liberty podcast and he did explain that with the $1,000 a month, they would try to go get away from the whole minimum wage thing or at least lower it so that way it would kind of balance out. Go the opposite. I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider, even being the far leftist I am, I wouldn't consider a universal basic income. I would rather go with a federally enforced minimum wage if I had to choose between the two. Ideally, it shouldn't have to be enforced, and every employer would just do it out of being a commonly decent human being. But that's not how life works. It could. But that's a different debate for a different time. I don't think he's going to last. I think he's probably going to drop out. But the one thing I can say that I like about him is that he's the only one there besides um, that is not a politician. Marianne Williamson. Yes, there you go. We can, no, nah, we're not going to take her seriously either. I refuse. No. I mean, <laughs> the thing is, it's really hard to, you know, run for president if you have no other political background. Like, most of these guys have, you know, been in politics for so many years, playing different roles. Cliche, we hear in all of our jobs, it's not what you know. Right. It's who. And that was the big thing I got with Biden was um, the only advantage to Biden for me is progressive. The absolute only advantage to Biden is he could repair 98% of our foreign relations damage of the foreign relations damage Trump has done almost overnight. 
because he already has all of those connections and all of those ties. He spends his first week in office making phone calls, and everyone but Russia and China are back on our side. Like, it's like, I'm exaggerating. But yeah. that's <laughs> but that's the thing. That's the advantage to Biden, is he does have the connections the world over to actually make things happen. The problem I, is, I don't think... I don't doubt that at all, actually. I mean, somebody that's been in politics as many years as he has, he can play the strings, no doubt. Last question for you out of the two debates of the second debate who's the overall winner in your unbiasedly and that sucks i really have to consider it because my, my favorite is one of the two right well, i'm a warren supporter and i do think she destroyed i'm just trying to think now it's okay I for you to pick to warren if that's who you think it is if you I can have to see her debate harris because harris just had too many good moments at taking control and i mean really good that courtroom prosecutor performance right. level. That moment when she was talking and Tapper went to say time and she just went, this is important and kept going. She owned that room. Oh yeah. I was, I'm going to say Harris. All right. Over Warren. And just because she had the takes, she had the bigger opponents. She had to swing heavier gloves against heavier hitters. Warren had Bernie at her back, and they were able to bat at the little flies that came at them. Harris was in the thick of it, and she survived a knifing from Gabbard up there, too. Mm -hmm. And go ahead, Biasly, who won. Biasly? No, no, I'm not even going biased. I'm still going to say Harris, because I love her. I like her delivery, and I accept the weaknesses of my candidate's delivery. I accept that Elizabeth Warren comes off like a breathless Hillary Clinton sometimes, and that's unappealing to people. All right. So I'm going to say Harris, Harris won. So I'm going to say unbiasedly Biden. I think he really played. I think he's smarter than what all the other candidates think he is. I think he played them. He he managed to get the most time. He he managed to get the most viewership, the most publicity even if it was ne negative publicity a lot more people are going to look at him and he he got the most coverage so with that i think biden made out uh even though in you the first counter punches did more damage than than the shots that were taken at him right biasly i'm going with gabbard just because i like you know she has a lot of the the libertarian check marks um let's get out of foreign wars let's um let's end the um that's not just a libertarian talking point anymore the left and the libertarians agree on that right the uh end the uh military industrial complex and even though she didn't she play i know oh and uh she didn't Actually, did she or did she not? I think she tried when she was trying to jab Harris, but she wanted to... Or was it Harris that mentioned it? Now I got confused. Brown people and uh, black people being incarcerated more than anybody else. I think it was, was Gabbard. Gabbard. That was Gabbard, yeah. Yeah. And I. so those are the points that kind of are libertarian check marks, and that's why she's my favorite. And even though she didn't, she could have 
been a little bit stronger on it, she still kind of hit those check marks. And for me, that's good enough. I think she has a lot of potential, and I hope she, at the very least, makes it to the next debate. Uh, she's also managed to get away with not having to answer for her work with her father's organization yet, and that has been a boon to her because that's her big, wide-open wound they can pick at because her father was a bit of a religious figure and their right. organization had a massive anti-LGBTQ leaning. She kind of had to deal with a bit of that friction in the media prior to this, but she hasn't had to answer to it in a way that's that public yet. Right. So it'd be interesting to see if she's planned to have to make that repost. All right. That's all we got. So want to give one last plug in? Me? No, my podcast isn't public yet. I have to work out all of my little issues before I even remotely put it out there. Dang. You just called me out. Like, fix your no, bugs before. You. No, I was just kidding. That's that's you've heard me in this. You've heard the 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 ums and the silences coming from my side on this one. I, I like to be able to get that out of my system before I go public with mine. Definitely, it it is worth it. But I mean, I was listening to a podcast uh, this morning about podcasts, and uh, I know right, and they uh, they were talking about. Well, actually, it wasn't about podcasts. It was about college, but he mentioned he he's a famous podcaster, and he was kind of trying to relate it or somehow. But one of the things he says, like you know, if you want to start a podcast, there's never really a good time to start it. Just start it. Just do it. Just and do that's it. why I started it on the Facebook in that sandbox, just to like what all ten of my friends. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Um, I can get people to poke at it and maybe catch things I didn't. Hey, maybe change this. Hey, adjust lighting there. Getting the 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 feedback there before I take it to YouTube and get what little is left of my self-esteem just shattered into a billion pieces and blown <laughs> into the wind by the comment section. Now, your stuff is good, man, and I can't wait for it to go public, I think. You'll do really, really well, and I hope that you give me the chance to have you on my podcast again once you decide to uh, go public and, um, you know, give your uh, plug-in then as well. I'll come back anytime you want me to. I, ha I am more comfortable in this format talking with people than I am in anywhere out there in the real world. Awesome. So, like, yeah, better with an audience of 505 <laughs> definitely man hey thanks a lot for being on um yeah